0: Okay, Sarah, you're there, right? I am. Okay, perfect. So um, what's up, everyone, my fabulous ladies, my listeners out there, and men who listen to the She Did It Her Way podcast? My name is Amanda Bolin, and, again, I'm your host, and thank you guys for joining us another week here. And today on the show I have Sarah Kuntz, who I I can't even go in to describe exactly what this this fabulous woman does because she does a lot, and she's really – an influencer in the tech scene, and very all about the um, just the tech in, in, in general, but she also has a really big voice for women in tech, but brought her on today just to share her journey and her insights, and I know she's coming from the Midwest, I'm going to have her share everything from where she's come from and to where she is now. So without further ado, Sarah, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Hi. It's so great to be here.
0: Yeah. Well, I always like to start off and ask, like, what are you most excited about today, whether it's personal or business?
1: Uh, well, it's my birthday tomorrow, so that's
0: exciting. Oh, yeah, happy birthday. Thank you. That's awesome. What else um, do you have going on in your plate?
1: Uh, you know, I'm, I've been busy. I've been uh, doing a lot of things. I've been doing some investing in companies and some writing um, and spending a lot of time on some of the different uh, philanthropies and charities I work with, uh, particularly around kind of tech and education. And so it's been... A very busy spring so far.
0: My goodness! I mean, and I I've done um, some research on you, and there is just like page after page of research. I find and I'm like, this business, ends, your business ends your 30 under 330. You're just on Bloomberg doing an interview excerpt. So, tell us high level what it is that you do now, and then we're gonna take it and dive like how you got there all the way back from. High school into college, because I think your journey is really, it's unique, and there's also a lot of passion behind everything that you've done so far in your life.
1: Yeah, so, so right now, um, I do a few things. I am um, a venture partner um, at a fund called Future Perfect Ventures, which means that I go out and I find awesome companies and great founders um, in, in spaces like big data and machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence, um, some of the smartest people working on you know, very futuristic problems, um, and I convince them to take uh, my money. So I'm an investor. Um, I also am a contributing editor of Marie Claire Magazine. Um, so with that, it's really about um, doing a little bit of writing for the magazine, um, and I've been in the magazine, but maybe just, you know, talking to to the magazine editors um, and to the readers about what I'm seeing in technology and how it is applicable to their lives. Um, so that's a very, very, very fun thing um, where I get to just kind of uh, interact with awesome technologists and then take that experience and uh, and put it to good use um, in front of uh, millions of readers every month. And then um, I also do a lot of advising. Um, I advise several startups, um, everything from, you know, tech startups um in I advise a beauty company in Dallas and a interactive video company in New York and um you know quite a few tech startups and then I also do a lot of advising for incubators and accelerators and other programs that are um other programs that are basically focused on helping really, really really early stage companies figure out kind of what it is you may grow up. Um and I also do a lot of philanthropic stuff. I uh I'm on the investor board of Venture for America, which is an amazing charity that's similar to Teach for America. we put recent college grads into underserved communities for two years and have them work at startups there. Um, It's a really amazing company, and I uh, am also active in a few other charities, including Help Us Adopt, um, which helps provide uh, fee-free adoption grants to families who want to grow their family, um, as well as a few more things. So I stay pretty busy.
0: I, I would say so. Yes, that is quite a full plate. So how did you – tell us about your journey from, like, as a child all the way up until now.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm from Michigan. Um, as I like to say, my first two jobs were on a farm, um, literally. I am uh, – I, I grew up in a sort of 300 people in rural Michigan, and I uh, – my first job was picking strawberries on a strawberry farm and my second job was um homing a bean field. So, you know, did house is homing a bean field. So the weeds and oh. bean fields are like three feet tall, you literally have to go through and pull the weeds so that oh then God. you can harvest the beans. Yeah. Who knew? Um so you know, it was a, a family friend's farm and I was eleven and I was making you know, four hundred and five hundred dollars in the summer in a town where the average home price is thirty thousand dollars. So it was actually, you know, a lot more money than I could afford to spend on candy. It was crazy. So right. from a really early age I realized that um, you know, making money was fun because then I could buy whatever I wanted. Um I've always loved fashion and I've I've always uh, loved loved creativity and travel. And so from a really early age, you know, I was able to my parents would take teacher allowance. And I would say, okay, right now I have this extra money, and I'm going to spend it on shopping or on um, you know trips, uh, trips with you know my friends to go to the amusement park or whatever it is. So um, I've always been very uh, there's there's a quote that I I love from like a, a cheesy 80s movie, you know, it's not the money, it's what the money can buy. So I've I've always been a very dedicated consumer. Um, and so after uh, so I started doing that, you know, and then. From there on, I've kind of always worked. I've worked in fast food. I've worked, um, in, I've worked as a yanny. I, you know, kind of did everything. Um and then during college, I started interning. I went to Michigan State University and I started interning, um in the fragrance industry. And so I worked for one of the biggest fragrance companies in the world, Cody Beauty. And then, um, I actually worked for, I worked for an amazing female entrepreneur. Um, Eva Lorenzadi, and she had a very early e-commerce company, um, and that was my first place where I kind of started to learn about tech and, and buying things online, and then from there, after I graduated, I went to uh, I went to Chanel, and I did marketing there, and so, you know, working there full-time, um, I worked for Apple and Red Bull in college as well, so I was really starting to build a base of understanding what makes an iconic brand. Um, and that was—it's been so important to me in the rest of my life because I know what an iconic brand looks like, um, and I know, you know, when somebody thinks they have brand loyalty, but really their customers are just buying from them because they're the cheapest. Um, so that was hugely important in my formative years. Um, and then after Chanel, I decided that what I really wanted to do was get back into technology. Working for Apple um, in college had given me a, a pretty good sense of wow, technology is really cool, and it's kind of the new factor. And so from there, I went to a media startup. Um, When I went to a media startup, I was the first business hire. I didn't exactly understand what the job was, but I knew I could, you know, figure it out, right? So started working just crazy hours, um, you know, increased the revenue um, by 100 times, kind of being a little workaholic, um, taking every opportunity I could get, learning everything I could, um, and and meeting everybody I could. And it was really interesting because – Um, A lot of my coworkers would go to work all day, and then it was a media website that did a lot of nightlife stuff um, in New York. And so a lot of my coworkers would go to work all day, write stories, they'd be tired, and they'd go home after. And I'd always be the ones who'd go to work all day. Um, I was on the sales side, so I would be ad sales all day, and then I would go out at night to all these events that we were getting invited to. And it didn't huge impact because even now I'm regularly um, reaching out to people and calling them that I know from five, six, seven years ago at this job um, because I, you know, went to charity benefit that they were hosting, or I went to a dinner for their new product launch, and we made connections, and, and you know, those connections are still relevant today. So I learned really early in that job um, the power of networking and of always being willing to kind of take another meeting and meet another person and just kind of constantly aggressively growing your network. Um and so after a couple of years there, I decided to, uh, start a consulting company. So I consulted for huge media companies, super small media companies, literally everything from Conde Nast to, you know, two people trying to get a, a, a Facebook page off the ground.
0: We um, learned wow. a ton
1: about kinds of things to work with and the sort of things you can start to see after a while patterns of success. Um, and so I started to learn a lot of that and then I joined, um, pretty big venture-backed startup. Um, so they've raised venture capital about a million dollars um, to start something in the fashion space, but they weren't quite sure what. So I joined again as the first business side employee, um, and I was able to come in and kind of organize everything so that we could figure out, you know, what what to do so So built that, it ended up being an app, and I built it from the ground up and got a huge partnership, um, you know, a million users. And they so did that for a while, it was really awesome to be able to, to build something new from, from day zero um, with a bunch of money backing you so that you actually had the time and space to kind of make your mistakes. Um, mm-hmm. And so we did that for a while, and then um, I actually left there uh, to do stuff that's a little bit more aligned with what I do now, which is venture capital investing. Um, venture capital is, you know, where, where tech startups get the money to grow, and it's a really competitive field that unfortunately has very, very, very few women in it. And so the way that I ended up, uh, the way that I ended up in it, um, is that, you know, an amazing woman who ran venture fund of her own, um, I started talking to her. I started helping her, giving her ideas. Um, she was trying to learn more about the media and retail space. I had deep experience. So I just kept, you know, doing free work for her, right? I kept, you know, asking, telling her if you need help with anything, do you want to know this person. Can I introduce you here? Can I tell you about this? Can I show you what I know? And, and really just helping her because I liked her. Um, and then one day she said, okay, well, why don't I hire you? And I was like, that's perfect. This is a great job of making pay, an awesome opportunity. And, and it just kind of shows that, you know, with the right people, if somebody really values your insight, um, you know, you, you generally are going to get paid back somehow for for, for giving of yourself and giving of your time and helping people. Um, and so I did that and I joined there. Um and he there for a couple of years. He was able to do some awesome investments, um, invested in uh, Randy Zuckerberg's company, Mark Zuckerberg's sister, has a great media company. He uh, you know, was able to do some really fun things there. And then now I'm at my current job, uh, which I told you a little bit about, but doing uh, venture investing as a venture partner um, at Future First Ventures. So it's been a, a really kind of crazy journey over the past 10 or 12 years.
0: Yeah, that is incredible. I'm going to recap here just, just to make sure I'm on the same page. So it sounds like um, undergrad was your first experience with tech, and that was through mm-hmm. Apple. But then mm-hmm. afterwards you decided you worked at Chanel, and then you had this love for tech pop back up. So that's when you found yourself in a media startup. You met a ton of people at the event. You did that for a few years. Then you started – you went off on your own, did your own consulting company, and handled a lot of variety of different clients before joining um, – Venture, venture-backed startup that you mm-hmm. helped build an app and acquire a million users. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. That had mm-hmm. a, yeah, that's that's amazing. And so then now, or you did go into venture capitalist investing, and mm-hmm. able to help the one woman out. And so now you're in venture partner. So what is what's the difference between? Venture VC investing, then the venture partner. So the last, what's the difference between
1: the last? Yeah, I mean all all of the names, all of the the titles, right, are are kind of just different different ways of saying. There's sort of the joke is there's only really two levels, right? Either you're the person who uh, you're a general partner and you're the person who started the fund and you get you know the lion's share of the profit, or you're not. And when you're not, you know you 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 have various roles, but they're all sort of still the real title is not the boss. So I am not the boss, but I get to I get to make investments. And so um, the biggest difference of a venture partner is that um, I don't I don't go into the office every day. Um, I'm more out scouting, and so it's almost more like a, it's you know in modeling right, it'd be like a scout versus an agent or in, or in, you know music right. So one person's out kind of constantly bringing in new people, and the rest of the team is sort of uh, spending more time with them once they're on board and kind of. Helping them grow the company, so I'm really the the front runner, and I'm the person who's the the first person uh, to find companies and, and bring them back into
0: the larger fund. Yeah. So what? Then, with now your your position in venture partner, mm-hmm. and you talk about how you're scouting these companies. Tell us a little bit about what are some of the key things that you look for that help you that you've seen successful businesses do over time.
1: Yeah, I mean, in, in, I, I, I invest in pretty small niches. Um, but the interesting thing is the big things that I'm looking for don't have anything really to do with the subject matter. Um, you know, it, it's sort of an old thing, but it's true, right? Like, we all know a trillion smart people who should be amazing and they're just sort of dead, right? So for me, having a great idea isn't enough. Being the top of your class at Harvard or Stanford uh, or, you know, having worked at a bunch of big tech companies isn't, isn't enough, right? Having cool patents on an idea isn't enough. It's really uh, the things I'm looking for are the same things I'd look for, you know, if I were um, looking to back someone's restaurant or to, you know, uh, just investment into someone's blog, you know, or if I'm investing in, in, you know, sort of some kind of augmented reality trip to the moon startup. Right. And, and that's really people. Do the people have a lot of, you know, do they have a lot of integrity? Do they have a lot of drive? Are they really hungry? Right. Um, It's, you kind of want somebody who's going grocery shopping at an empty stomach, to to use the expression. Um, You're looking for somebody who, when things get tough and the company's not fun anymore and something goes wrong and everybody hates them and they're almost out of money, um, they're going to figure out how to work through that, and they're not going to say, hey, this seems like a good time to close up shop. Um, But also somebody who has a huge capacity for learning and takes instruction well, um, and and is just really, really, really good in terms of they fact-check everything. They know their numbers pulled, They know what their market size is. Um, they know who they should be talking to. They know who their next hire is going to be. People who just kind of obsessively research their industry and their companies are, are kind of people that I always want to bet on. Uh,
0: um, tell us about a time that you've got wrong. Uh, if that's
1: ever you know, happened. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard. I think that, that – the nice thing about working um, under more experienced investors is that I've bet wrong, but I've never uh, been allowed to, to, to write a check to the wrong company, which is really nice. So, yeah. you know, there's definitely been times where I've gotten really excited about companies and i just thought for sure, this is it, this is it, this is it. And it's, it's really not, and luckily, you know, the investors I work with have always said, okay, we're you know, as a team, we have decided not to invest in this. And so at the time, you feel like you're losing, but really you're winning um, because you're, you're avoiding that decision. And for me, I think the biggest thing has been, and, and I think that, you know, kind of trying this in my personal life, I think that girls sometimes do this in their relationships as well, when you sort of see potential and you say, you know what, if they just changed F, Y, and Z, they would be the best ever, and it would be amazing, and this would work one is nobody changes, right? Very few people, unless they have stated desire they change and they're, they're reaching out to you proactively, saying, hey, I know that I need help in X, Y, and Z, can you help me? Um, they're not very interested when you come in and say, hey, uh, I'm, I'm going to help you change that. It, it's, it's not helpful to look for it. And so that's probably been the biggest mistakes that I've tried to make have been finding companies that I love that I think, you know, just need a few tweaks and not recognizing that the founders of these companies aren't interested
0: in change. Wow. That's a really good, I mean, just metaphor in general in life as well. Um, with, so you've been doing the venture partner working for the company and you go out and scout. Mm-hmm. Well, so I'm curious for you, like, what is a typical day look like? For Serex, it sounds like there's just a ton of things going on. So walk us through a typical day for you.
1: Yeah, well, so right now I'm actually sitting in the uh, fire escape stairs of a building, a warehouse in San Francisco, and I'm completely <laughs> locked out because I couldn't find an office to sit in and talk. And so, you know, this 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 is uh, is unusual, but not that unusual for me. Um, the majority of my job is really focused on on things. Um, it's really talking to people, um, and it, it's helping figure out you know what how I can help them and how they can help me. And so that's just a massive part of what I do every day. Um, I typically will have a breakfast lunch or drink meeting um, with anyone from a reporter who's interested in covering one of my companies to um, to you know a company that I want to invest in to another investor that I want to send some deals to. Um, I had a call this morning with a friend who's a CFO, a chief financial officer, and is looking for um, the next step. And so I was talking to them, and I'll send them, you know, later this afternoon, they'll send me their resume, and I'll send, you know, 10, 15 emails to people who might want to hire them. There's a lot of emails, and there's a lot of emails. Um, And it it can be hard. Um, It's almost like a sales role, right, or a business role where you're constantly um, networking and talking to people. But if somebody asks you what you did today, you don't really have an answer for it. Whereas if you're a plumber and somebody says, what'd you do today? You say, I Cloud 20 toilets. And you know nice. that that's, that's a lot of toilets. And that's great. And you feel a sense of accomplishment. Um, so one thing that I think can be hard for people in, in both in venture capital and investing and then just in, in any kind of outside facing role where you're constantly just interfacing with people. Um, for the rest of your company is you sometimes get this feeling of, like, but what did I really do? And what, mm-hmm. you, what you're doing, you know, is kind of bringing in the the deal flow, right? So sales pipeline, deal flow, customers, that's, that's the lifeblood of any business. Um So you're pretty much, like, the heart pumping oxygen through the body, but it's just hard to prove that and to show what you're doing. So I, I spend a lot of time on the phone
0: and, and writing emails. Dang. Okay. That, I mean, just everything that you said, that's um... – really good insight for that comparison but what so tell us about how do you or like what's some of the how do you stay organized just with everything flying around from what you have going on with in your life in general with so many things flying how do you stay organized
1: um so so the there's only two answers that people hate to hear from me but i think they're probably true of a lot of people um who do a lot of things. Um, one is I get a lot done because I don't sleep a lot and I never need as much sleep. And two is the, one of the biggest ways I stay organized is I just have an incredibly good memory and I kind of always have. Um, and so you know, there's there's definitely that advantage that I just remember stuff easier than other people. The other thing I do to augment my memory because I clearly can't keep it all in my head um, is I use Google Docs religiously. So I use Gmail, I use Google Calendar, I use Google Docs. I write everything down. I email everything to myself. I use my email like a database, and I just archive every email whenever I need to remember, oh, I think I knew somebody at this place who's doing this. I can usually just pull it up and look. And so it's really, really, really helpful um, to to have a technological backup that's with my other brain, and then I use my brain to, to try to remember everything I can. That's smart.
0: So then how – because I'm sure with the position you're in and the influence that you have – and there's probably a lot of people that want time with Sarah. And I think this is something that a lot of people just in general in life now with social media, There's, I mean, we can always be, quote, unquote, on and always mm-hmm. be meeting with people. But how do you um, determine, qualify, might be, like, how do you determine who you give your time to? Like, is there, are there questions yeah. you ask? Is there qualifying? Like, how do you do that? Yeah, I mean one thing I, I always say and, and
1: I actually was reading the other day and then in an interview with Ivanka Trump and she said the same thing and so it's like, yes, yeah, they're on the right path. But um, you know, is is don't ever ask anybody a question that you can Google, right? So um I I try to be an incredibly helpful kind of conduit to the world of venture capital investing and a bunch of other things and people. And, you know, the hardest thing for me is when somebody gets time with me because they, you know, tweeted at me and I saw or they emailed me when I had a free moment and, you know, they asked me a question, like, they, they, they could Google. And I literally sometimes will respond to them using the let me Google that for you link and just tell them, look, you know, you have my time, you have my attention, and if you're trying to break into the technology world in particular, that's really valuable. So at least it on a question that Google can answer, you know. Ask mm. me very specific questions. And so that's the number one thing, I think. Um, I also look for a demonstrated amount of interest. Right. So if somebody comes to me and this happens a lot, someone will be in, they'll be getting their MBA, and they'll say, "Hey, I want to go into, into venture capital." Um, you know, I used to be in banking. And I want to go into venture capital, and I'm like, "Great!" So, and I'll over email. I'll be like, "Awesome! Send me, you know, info about your your startup, your history with startups." And people or startups you think are interesting. And people will say, "Oh, well, I don't know, I'm not an investor yet." And I'm like, "No, no, no. If you want to be an <laughs> investor, then you should be." seriously reading TechCrunch, and you should have 20 companies you've been, you know, that you've had an eye on for a long time, and you should have very articulated points of view, they don't, they don't necessarily be right, but you should start thinking that way, right? It's like if, if you met, you know, uh, Michael Jordan, and you say, hey, I want to play pro basketball, and he, and he says, awesome, you know, like, what position what do you play? And you say, oh, I, I haven't started, I, I haven't started playing yet because nobody pays me. You know, you generally do work for a long time before somebody pays you. So that's probably the main thing I look for. And the other thing I do that I really encourage busy people to do, um, which is everybody, is is don't feel like – try to figure out what people are actually asking you for and try to help them in the the least high-touch way possible. So a lot of times people will say, can I have coffee with you and fix your brain? And what they really mean is, hey, you know somebody that I want you to introduce me to or – I just want feedback on my deck or something that can be done um, via email or via a phone call. Um, or, you know, it could be if they just want to meet you in person for no real reason. Um, you know, I'm having my birthday party tomorrow night, so I'm, I'm invited a in ton of people to stop by who I've been supposed to meet up with for a while. And I don't really have a reason to meet up with them, but I'd love to say hi. So stop by my birthday party, you know, and I can see 100 people in a night instead of one. And so it's just kind of thinking critically through that stuff and finding ways to, meet um, as many people's needs as possible, um, it, but also, you know, not
0: completely burn yourself out in the process. Totally. Yes. Yeah. So what – that's really good advice. Talk to me about your I, – I wrote down when you're jotting this, I wrote down the mindset shift question because mm-hmm. I have to imagine that the way you look at a business is completely different than most people not in – Venture, mm-hmm. I mean, whether you're in tech, but I still think if you're in VC, you're, you're looking at companies in a completely different light, including like mm-hmm. use private equity or whatever. But mm-hmm. what are questions that you find you ask yourself that gives you the most ROI for that question? You get a lot of information for it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the most important thing to do with a business is don't fall in love with a business before you know if it can be profitable. Um, it's sort of like if you you know see a coworker every day and you have the biggest 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 crush on him and you never thought to ask if he has a girlfriend, right? By the time you find out that he does, you're well on your way to having an office there. And so finding that stuff up out, finding out things up front, improving, and, and making sure up front that something really makes sense is so important because once you you know we all have confirmation bias. Once you really want to start a company, you convince yourself that hey, you know I know that X Y Z has. You know, really bad returns, but I think all be different because. And the answer mm-hmm. almost always is, um, you know, you're, you're average, right? If you have never read, uh, he's just not that into you. That's like one of the most, uh, one of the best parts of the book, right? Which is that, you know, the whole thing is like you're you're not the exception, right? If there's one exception in a thousand to every rule, you're probably not the exception. So, so figure out a way to kind of work within that framework. And so one of the best things you can do anytime you have a new business idea, you're thinking about going into a new area of business, the first thing you should do is go to Google and Google profit margins for X, right? And make sure that those profit margins make sense. Um, and read a bunch of articles about, you know, how people are making money in that field. If it's something that relies on Google AdWords um, or Facebook ads, those are so incredibly expensive now um, that you probably can't afford to do that business. Is that okay? Of course. But figure that out early on. Don't get so attached to the idea that you're going to be wanting it anyway and think that you're going to be the exception. So I think that's probably the biggest difference is I really don't look at businesses from a place of passion until I know that they can
0: make money. Mm. How do you, how do you encourage people to not be emotionally invested? Because Like you said, we make a lot of decisions as humans based on our emotions. So how do you encourage and advise people not to be emotionally invested?
1: Um, I mean, it's incredibly hard, right? It's really, really, really hard to say um, I'm going to lead this. Because starting a company is an irrational exercise, right? You're not climbing a mountain. You're saying I'm going to build a mountain so that I can climb it. That's crazy. Why not just walk, you know, stay on the (laughs) flat So, So, You know, it's it's irrational and you have to have some of that spirit, but at the same time, you have to balance it with the fact that, you know, every, what you, you you kind of have to look at what you want to accomplish, right? Say that what you want to accomplish is making it easier for women to have a flexible work-life balance. And you think that the best way to do that is a blog about it. Because then you look and you see that actually, you know, the ROI on a blog is pretty low and it's a pretty crowded market, and, all, and not a lot of advertisers are trying to advertise in it. So that's probably not going to work. But maybe a co-working space where you can have a daycare in it so kids can come to work with their moms is a better idea. Or maybe starting a company where you can, you know, let women be remote uh, CFOs or CMOs or whatever it is will work better, right? So, so stay in love with the problem you're trying to solve, but don't get too attached to the one way that you kind of, First,
0: pops in your head is a good way to solve it, if that makes sense. Yeah, so stay in love with the problem, but not necessarily the way to solve it. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, let's, I know we're kind of, I'm probably on my, it seems like we're all over the place, but I think this is an amazing discussion. And so I want to (laughs) dive into you're a woman in tech, you're a big influencer. Mm -hmm. So, what's been your experience? Being a woman in tech, and what's been encouraging, and maybe not as encouraging. Yeah, I mean it's, it's
1: obviously hard, right? You're, you're. I'm in an industry where you know half the more women than men come out of school with PhDs and master's degrees. Um, more women than men are getting college degrees. Um, the universities that are you know general feeders into tech, right? Some of the more um, bigger and elite schools that we learn from, you know, Duke, Harvard, Stanford. Um, Michigan State, all those schools, right, um, they have, you know, 50 women and men in enrollment, and then something happens when it comes to tech where only guys get funded and typically only white guys, and and only and those guys, you know, start hiring their friends who typically are other white guys, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have this entire industry who works the same in venture capital that is representing, you know, something like, I think, like, I think it's about twenty percent of the population of America are white men, but somehow they dominate like eighty or ninety percent of, of tech and investing jobs. And so, you know, it doesn't you either have to believe that there's something inherently wrong in the system or that this one group of people is somehow inherently better at everything. And now personally, I don't think that they're inherently better at everything. I think they're just as good as everybody else. So, you know, there, there's definitely some some systemic problems there. And there's the problems range from people who, you know, I I know one guy who, um, after I helped him get a job in venture capital, he told me that he doesn't think women should work in venture capital. You know, so there are some people who are just jerks. And then there are people who just don't think about it and who nobody's asked them or challenged them to to look at their hiring practices and to think about who they're funding um, and to just kind of expand their horizons. And so I think it runs the gamut. um, Mm -hmm. And it's a huge challenge. It's very frustrating. um, And it it can be, you know, pretty depressing. And I, I think that we're starting to have more conversations about it, which is the first step. Um, I think that, that women need to um, really look at whether or not they've maybe internalized the idea that guys are better at startups and investing than they are and really shake that off because, again, if you Google it, there are reams and reams and reams and reams and reams of, Studies that show that you know the best way to have to build a great company is to have a mixed company. So not all women, not all men, you know, not all piggy goats, right? It's really having a mix of of every kind of person, Um, and and having a true melting pot gives you historically better returns on your business. And for investors, um, having mixed groups or having at least having women in the group um, is, is proven to have stronger returns over time. And so you know there's there's a financial imperative for it, and there's also obviously kind of a moral imperative, which is you know I, I don't think many of us are proud to be Americans because we think that America is a place where we only reward one very small number of people uh, for their hard work and so you know the the best thing that I can do is is help women um, and reach out to them and you know be very receptive to inbound requests. I have my email address on my Twitter account, you know, and everybody who emails me uh, with a business plan or, or something, you know, kind of practical to work with gets a reply. Um, and, and just help people understand, you know, what they need to say when they pitch, the kinds of profit margins they need to be looking at, um, you know, who, who where to go to build a career, things to say and things to not say, right? And so I kind of I spend a lot of time trying to demystify all of that. Um, because I do think it's important to to these women and to the world that we have a much kind of more diverse group of people making funding
0: decisions and starting companies. Mm. Yeah, and with like women in in tech, you've seen an increase in in the presence, or have you not since you've been in tech? Um, you
1: know, it's. It, Slowly, any one person's, you know, kind of observations are a little bit hard to quantify. Um, In terms of of the numbers I'm seeing coming out of studies, um, you're starting to see a lot more women pick up computer science as a major, which is great. The problem is that there's, you know, something like 80% of women who graduate with computer science degrees are no longer working in tech five years after graduation. And a lot of them have said, you know, it's not a fun place to work. When guys don't want you there and, and sometimes that happens. So, you know, there, there are a lot of metrics, um, like who's getting an MBA, which can be a pretty good indication of the kind of people who will start companies or who's getting, um, you know, who's getting, uh, hired at investment funds, things like that, that indicate there's a slow uptick in women. Um uh, but you also have to keep in mind that, you know, from 1999, when the first big technology boom happened in Silicon Valley, um, there actually were more female investors then than there are now. And so, you know, in a lot of ways, there's, there's been this pretty significant backslide that we're just now starting to kind of make up for. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot more conversation. And I think that's important. Um, I think when it becomes commonplace to ask an investor, like, why don't you have any women? um who work for you. It, I think that's important, right? Because at some point as an investor, it comes down to, hey, it's probably easier to hire a great woman than it is to constantly have to defend myself from claims of sexism. You know? And, and so I think that that's going to be something we increasingly start seeing where people realize that it's not enough to say, oh, well, you know, none of my college buddies that I decided to start a fund with are women so we don't have women. Right? It, 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 that's no longer a good excuse. Um, it's now become a question of, okay, go find a woman. Right? The same way that you go find, you know, if you want to build a house and you don't personally know an architect, you don't just not build a house, you go find one. You know, so go find one. Right. It doesn't have to be just your immediate circle. And and so I think that's kind of where we're starting to see change is that there's more outside pressure, um, that that seems to not be going away and seems to only be getting kind of uh louder. Gosh, gotcha.
0: yeah. That's that's very exciting. That's very encouraging to hear too. So tell us a couple last things too is mm-hmm. one, um, how do you continually stay motivated and inspired on a daily basis with everything going on? And just, I mean, what, what has continually driven, drove you to just be where you are today and to be doing you every single day?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is just. Kind of, what else are you gonna do? You know, this—it's—I uh, think that you kind of get into stuff and you start—you start out on a path, and you don't necessarily understand how hard it will be. But then, by the time you realize, you're so far down the path that you know there's not necessarily a ton of other options. Right? You have to have a job. You have to be building a career. Um, you could go do something else, but you wouldn't be as happy. And, you know, in my case, it probably wouldn't be as lucrative. And so, you know, the, the answer is, do you want to kind of put your head down and, and, and try to change things, or do you want to give up and go home? Um, and I've never been a person who gives up. So for me, you know, it's, it's the, the same reasons that I'm doing this every day are the same reasons I got into this. I love technology. I love innovation and I love helping people. Um, and, and what I've had to focus on is changed a little bit, to be honest. Um, because I do have to spend way more time than I ever thought I would, you know, talking about sexism and, and dealing with, um, you know, bias and all of this stuff that was just kind of not even on my radar when I first came out of school. Um, and that sucks, but it's okay because I feel like it's starting to change. And so I feel like I won't have to do this forever. And I certainly feel like, you know, the generations under me won't have to do this forever. And so that's a really nice feeling to know, um, you know, I like doing things that stay done. I like doing things that, you know, you do the laundry, then you have to do the laundry again. But you, you know, you your your house, and you don't have it again for like 20 years, right? That's a nice mm-hmm. to just do things that stay done. And so my hope is, particularly in, in tech, um, that a lot of this, this, this lack of diversity. Once it gets fixed,
0: we'll hopefully stay fixed. Yeah. What I mean, and to piggyback on that, what piece of advice would you can you give our listeners just based on your experience in business and in life?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that the best thing that I've found is is really like be be so excellent that no one can really doubt you. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of things, particularly in tech, where you you see people kind of advance based on the idea that they might be good, By the, the the bill of goods they're able to sell somebody, or smooth of a talker they are, or who they know, or where they went to school. Um, sometimes at first, sometimes it doesn't. To me, that would make me really nervous because you're always you know you're you're always kind of just riding riding on somebody else's good graces. When you're really good, you very rarely have to worry about somebody slamming the door on you because they decide they don't like you or you're not the flavor of the week. And so, you know, I think that it's just so much more important to be really good. Be good in a way that you can prove with data that you're excellent. And I I think that generally a lot more doors will be open to you. And once they're open, they'll stay open because everybody likes money. Everybody wants to back a winner. So you can show, you know, that you've had month-over-month month growth every month for the last two years, um, it makes you a lot more impressive as a blogger than somebody who's, you know, a celebrity cousin and therefore, you know, everybody writes about them when they first launch, right? So think about mm-hmm. things that are advantages that no one can take away from you and that you could be your industry, you know, you personally could be the least cool thing tomorrow and nobody could think you're cool, but they'd still look at your metrics and say, oh, this person is solid, this person is good. And so I think that's probably the most important thing I've learned because, you know, as as Heidi Queen says, one day you're in and the next you're out. Um, and I think that the best way to build a mope against that is really to just be so good that no one's going to want
0: to kick you out. Mm-hmm. What, um, what's a favorite book of yours that you've read? Um, one of my favorite books actually uh kind of totally nuts,
1: but I really like it. Um, it's called Choose Yourself, and it's a by a guy named James Ulcher, and it's sort of a, a self-help slash entrepreneur slash memoir book um, by this guy, James Ulcher, who, um, as Asperger, he's pretty pretty uh, flamboyant. He, he's definitely an interesting guy to read about. Um, he's, you know, made millions and lost it all several times over. Um, but he, he's really clear on kind of – what makes life worth living and what makes businesses worth doing. And that's to kind of always choose yourself and always bet on yourself. Um, and, and you're going to find that everything else, no matter how crazy it is at the moment, kind of will fall into place. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Have you, I, I hate to do this and take it, but have you read his other book that's The Power of No? Oh, I have not yet.
1: No, which is sad because I, I almost never say no. So I should read that.
0: <laughs> oh, sorry. No, I did Sorry. I just took the. I You said Jane's alter, and Yeah, he is a great author. Um, mm-hmm author so tell us how can people connect with you how can we find you and twitter
1: is the absolute best way um i'm on twitter my email address is on there uh you email me don't ask me questions that you can google um make it something actionable but uh yeah i mean i'm on twitter and i love talking to people and, and helping people and just hearing new ideas and what everybody's doing
0: i love it well sarah Thank you so much for your time and interview, and I hope that you find – I hope you're not locked out permanently in that staircase.
1: It's okay. A security <laughs> guard came by and is looking at me like I'm crazy, so I think he will let oh, me in.
0: Okay. It. Good. But I, I'm jealous that you're in San Francisco. That is for sure. That is a beautiful place. Yeah. Yeah. It is amazing. So, well, thank you so much. And, listeners, thank you guys again for hanging out with us today. So, Sarah, enjoy the rest of your day, and thank you again. Cool. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye.